Hello, I'm Katrina. I'm Azreen. I'm Kendra. And welcome to Rebecca Frost's 2015 dissertation to get her PhD in philosophy. Wait, what? <laughs> I thought we were the murderous trio. Not this week. <laughs> <laughs> we're the this... Dissert- dissertation trio? We're Rebecca Frost's dissertation trio, yeah. Okay. That's because, y'all, you see, this week I wanted to do an episode on, like, the broad sociological function of true crime in culture. And yes. anyway, that research ended up being, yeah, Rebecca Frost's 2015 dissertation to get her PhD, titled Identity and Ritual, the American Consumption of True Crime. Hi, this is from Michigan Tech, 2015. So, uh, it was about 200 pages. This week, we'll be covering the dissertation itself. Next week, we'll be doing my personal response to it because, again, this was written in 2015. And so this was near the beginning of podcasting before it really, really took off, you know? Yeah. And, like, this this dissertation was finished, like, a few months after Serial started. Hmm. So, like, I think it's... Even being a newbie to the true crime genre, I understand that Serial to be a fairly influential podcast within true crime podcasting. Very and so, influential. If you're like, hey, why does none of this sound like the podcasting? Why does this none of this sound like the true crime I know? It's because as Serial did a lot that was very different from what her ideas were um. and what historically had been happening in the true crime genre. And then it went on and just influenced everybody. So now it's like, so now her thesis needs a response, which I will be providing <laughs> next week. <laughs> okay. But this week we're going to talk about the, the dissertation itself. Hmm. All right. So she's specifically looking to set some parameters. She's specifically looking at American true crime and mm-hmm. its legacy and how it's kind of developed. So oh, I think it'd probably be fascinating to do like, you know, how different places, true crime and different traditions from other places have interwoven because everything's a dialogue. Yeah. But like, that's, uh, but like, you do need to put parameters on stuff like this. Like, you can't just study forever. (laughs) (laughs) You got to set those boundaries. And she was like, American, it's going to be, we're just going to be focusing on this country. And it's going to go, we're going to be looking at starting with like 17th century. Let's start, actually. I'm not going to outline this. You're going to have a fun, wild ride. Wait, please outline this. No. Why? So it's fun and wild and spontaneous. Okay, fine. And also we have the windows open, so if you hear sirens or cars moving outside, it's because, yeah, we we just need the windows open right now. Mm -hmm. It is very warm and humid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to start in the 17th century. We, America, we are all in Puritan little villages. That's right. So there's like five to eight. I have a little hat. And yes. A stick. Yes. Goody Proctor. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the towns are about five to eight hundred people. So like according to Google, the average American college is about four thousand people. So picture like less than a graduating class, and that's the town. It's so, the elderly. That's the parents. That's the kids. I it's, I imagine the graduating classes back then were like eight people. Yeah, that, this is why you got those one-room schoolhouses that have every single grade, right? Shit. Hey, okay, like, this is the time we're at. So, you're in a little Puritan town. Mm-hmm. Someone gets murdered. <gasps> Witchcraft! And, no? No. So, oh. 
So here's the thing. So here's what happens then after you find out the mur- who the murderer is. Mm-hmm. Is, is wait after? So we kind of we're skip we're skipping the discovery aspect because honestly okay. maybe they get discovered maybe they don't. Meh. But okay. if they do, <laughs> then the priest, the minister go not the priest because they're Puritans and not Catholics, but the minister goes and sits down with them. And over the next few weeks, up until their execution, the minister is going to be working with them, right? Like, yes. taking confessions, like, trying to, who, uh, shall we say, realign their spiritual journey. They, like, they have strayed bad from the path of God. Now you need to get them back on that path. Okay. Yes, before they die. And so... So they're still going to die regardless. Oh, no. There's definitely going to be an execution, no matter how much guilt there is. But, like, <laughs> we are going to try to, like, instill some guilt. Before the, more guilt. Okay. We're going to instill some guilt. We're going to get some repentance. We're going to do some reparations. And then we are going to kill you. <laughs> but because there's the... And the week prior to the execution, the priest is going to give a sermon. Yes. And it's called an execution sermon. Mm-hmm. It's very in the title. Okay. Exactly what it says on the tin. And the priest is going to give a sermon. And after the execution, the week after the execution, it's going to be printed and it's going to be distributed. This is going to be, in America, the first form of printed media about true crimes. Yes. And to kind of cover the general idea of true crime and how it functions and how it always has, mm-hmm. in, according to Frost anyway, it's going to work as a restoration ritual okay or yeah a restorative ritual after a disruption happens to a community that's how it's always been right like something bad happens and now we need to find a way to get to to get over it and to get back to how we were Mm -hmm. as she kind of puts it that it's to create this sense where there's going to be change, but it, most of the change is going to be a return to the status quo. Yes. No, it's going to be, yeah, okay, this, something very, very bad happened, but that was temporary. That was a disruption. It's unusual. And we will get back to how we were. Okay. And we're going or, or I'm making, you can't see me because y'all, this is an audio media, but I'm making little jaggedy motions with my hands to indicate like a bar graph going straight across and then dips down <laughs> as like someone's murdered. And then we get back to how we were to say line, and the line goes on steady. Okay. The idea is that we can overcome it, right? Like, and we can yeah. get back to how we were. So this is how it's always going to function. And in our Puritan village of five to 800, We've got a lot to do, right? Because in our little village of five to eight hundred, you probably knew the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, like this was a very personal thing that happened, and you knew the perpetrator. Yes, and you'd known both of them for years. Mm-hmm. And so there's this very specific. There's these questions going going around, kind of latent to everyone, right? Of like, how could this happen? Mm-hmm. How could I not? I knew this person who was killed. I knew this person who did the killing. How could have I not known that this was going to happen? How could I not have stopped it? Mm-hmm. Oh, kind of like how, uh, like this, I don't know if this example is, like, I'll give a similar example. So kind of like how when somebody uh, marries a person and then it's like they've been married for years, decades even, and then all of a sudden they'll be arrested and charged for 
several murders and they're just and people are just like how could you have and even the person says like how could I have been married to this person and not know yeah and that's like one of the major tensions right of like 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 some people theorize not not prof specifically but like one of the functions is like I can identify is the function of telling stories is to create like oh I can identify when this is going to happen and trying to create build that sense of I know what's going to happen Another site that was very generic, and I'm not going to cite it too much because it had nothing there. Mm-hmm. But it was like, like one possible psychological reason of true crime is that it helps us identify dangerous situations and how to avoid them and how to get out of them if we find them. And that's why it's so popular with women, especially because we're the ones who are going to be like, I could get murdered in a back alley. Yeah. And so, like, you read them to get information, like, okay, what do murderers look like? What do they sound like? What do they talk like? What do they do? What do they act like? Mm-hmm. Like, what are how did these things go wrong for other people so I can learn from it mm-hmm. and not do those things and end up murdered in back alley? Yeah. But, like, so there's kind of that idea, right? Like, like how do I recognize? How do I identify? How could I not have recognized? How did I not have identified? And because this is Puritan hellfire and brimstone times, mm-hmm. and the priest does, the minister does not look at them and be like, no, you couldn't have known. The minister's like, let's talk about your culpability in this crime (laughs) i'm i'm what did you not see what did you not do what could what did you do what did you see Mm -hmm. and like let's really dig into this how did you participate in this act how did we as a community participate in this act yeah and there is also this idea right of like I, to go into theology, it's a very basic theology, but like, right? In Christianity, there's like the idea of original sin, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what corrupts all people, and it's in all people that makes us do bad things. Yeah. And so, something of note is that there's never a talk of motive in these sermons. Why? Isn't that confession a thing? Like, I did this crime for like no, this that's reason? Or... No, this is a religious confession. This okay. is not like to the police confession. This is to the priest. This is like, I did bad things. Give me some thing to make up for it. I can do to make up for it, right? Yeah. So this, there's no why did it happen. It happened because the original sin, we're all corrupt and evil. Yeah. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> and moving on. And But like in a very real way, like often the sermons themselves didn't even focus that much on the crime, really. It was about like, y'all are sinners. This could be you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it, it was like, like, it was very much encouraged, like, not so much that, like, you were the same as the killer, but you were definitely on the same spectrum as the killer. Or, like, what? This is, like... So you're saying, like, if there's a killer out, because we're all sinners, we're all on the same spectrum as this killer. Like, it's deep within us that we ourselves yes. can move to an area where we become killers. Yes, exactly. Where we commit atrocities. Exactly. It's this idea that, like... Like, you know, like, if you're not careful about guarding against it, you can slip further and further down this path. Like, do you see how you don't care about your neighbors? Do you see these times where you have to, like, restrain yourself from maybe, like, slapping someone because you're really mad at them? Do you see this violence inherent in you? Do you see how this could get, continue to play out on a larger and larger scale until you end up there? (laughs) Murdering your children on the hanging block because... (laughs) You committed multiple murders. This is where it leads people. (laughs) 
Okay. Guard yourself against. Are we still in the Puritan time period? We, yes, of course. Where do you okay. think we are? <laughs> I kind of want to get out of this time period. Yeah. But it's important, right? Because it's yes. Noah's reign. We're in the seventies. No. <laughs> but like, you kind of like this sets up a few important things, right? Like, a there's this identification with the serial killer. Like, mm-hmm. there's much focus on the serial killer, and partly because, like, as you can see, oh. Oh, actually, scratch that. We're going to go back to that in just a sec. So, in the ideal ritual of return, of restoration, you have the act is discovered, you talk to the the ministers, or minister, and then other ministers from other communities are going to come around, and they're also going to talk with this person. They're all going to be working on the spiritual journey of this person to get them back to rights with God. Mm -hmm. Even though they're still going to kill him. Oh, no, for sure. They're still... They're like, there are still consequences, but like, you know, we're going to, before you have to like, your life ends, we are going to try to return you to the community. You are going to be rehabilitated. And and why must the, if they're doing such great jobs with rehabilitation. It's, it's spiritual rehabilitation. Okay. (laughs) It's a spiritual journey. Yeah. There are still consequences for actions. But to the extent that we're able, we're going to, like, restore everyone to what we were before. All right. So, ideally, you're going to work on the spiritual journey up to the execution. The criminal may or may not, the sinner criminal may or may not, like, in the, ser- in the sermon the week before their execution, they may request to be there. Mm-hmm. They're going to get some last words at their execution. They're going to stand on the speech. They got a very carefully prescribed speech each that they can kind of put their own words into, but it's got to follow this very specific path of like, like don't stray how I have strayed. You see where this leads, like the same kind of ideas. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then they die. Oh, okay. But Bye. what's really interesting is how it can sometimes change power dynamics a little bit because normally ministers, right. Are like white, relatively upper class, highly educated people. They speak for the community. But, like, if you got a prisoner who's really following this path well, they can supersede the minister in terms of cultural importance. Mm-hmm. Like, there's this one case of, like, Esther Rogers, who really, like, nailed it. Like, she went to her confession, She's because, like, her crime was, like, her murders were, like, she was a young, poor woman and worked as a servant and uh, had an and what do you call it? An out of marriage relationship with the guy. It was interracial. Had a baby. Murdered the baby. Oh my goodness! What? So Why? There's like multiple levels of scandals. And when she got caught for that, she's just like, "This actually happened before." Different guy, but like all the same. Like setup. okay, I was with her up until murdering the child. Yes. Wait, wait, wait. She's done this multiple times. Twice. This was her second time. And they're wow. just like, and but because like. This was, like, such a complete confession, and, like, the minister could really, ministers then get to really track, like, oh, and then you did little crimes as a little kid, and then you did these out bigger sins as a bigger kid, and then you did these murders as, like, a young adult. Oh, but, like, she was really able to, like, do a full confession, really lean into this role, be like, yes, I am a sinner, and I confess to all these terrible things, which even the things you didn't even know about, I'm going to tell you about them. <laughs> um, and, like... Like, these ministers gained prominence because they were associated with her rather than the other way around, which was normally how it'd be, right? And, like, she gets to stand up on the stage and basically give a speech. And, like, there's 
prescribed steps she has to follow. Mm-hmm. But she got to speak to a much larger audience. She got to speak in a voice that normally she wouldn't even have been allowed to speak in. Like, mm-hmm. that of authority, that of of complex thought. Yeah. She was allowed to demonstrate a lot more of that. And she got to reach a huge audience with this, right? So, in some ways, it's you, there's incentives to play along with this journey. Like, even people who are like, but I didn't commit a crime, will still follow the steps of this ritual of, like, like confession of sins, working with the ministers on your spiritual journey prior to your execution, giving the speech about, like, like do not do as I have done, da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... And in this moment, the sinner kind of represents the whole congregation. Like, it's not just, like, they're on the same spectrum as you. And there's this way in which they almost embody all of us, right? Where it's like, you have done bad things. You fall from grace. And then, but even the worst fall, you can be restored. Mm -hmm. You still have to face consequences for your actions, but you can be restored. Yeah. To a state of grace. And so, in this way, this... The murder kind of embodies the spiritual journey of everybody, mm-hmm. which then gets back to the point I was kind of going back. I tried to start early and then realized I hadn't laid sufficient groundwork for where the the focus on the criminal mm-hmm. was a huge point and like the victim was almost not mentioned at all, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like there's almost, there's nothing about the victim usually in these sermons. Mm. And it's because, and you can kind of see why, right? Like, yeah. In the terms of like, like this is all of our spiritual journeys. Like, why would you enter into the victim's headspace for this? Like, uh, yes, original sin happened, and I am flawed, mm-hmm. and I and my flaws grow, and then I become the result of someone else's sin. Like that's yeah. Like that's both weirdly like putting yourself as an object in someone else's journey, but it's also. Removing you from the journey, from your own journey. Yeah. And so there's not a lot to be gained by identifying with the victim in this case. So you identify with the ser- with the murderer. Yeah. Or because that's the journey that we're all on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the journey that's important. So. That's our starting point. Okay. Right. Then we're going to move into something more secular as 1700, as we kind of roll into the 1700s. We have the advent of trial reports. Okay. Trial reports are, as you might imagine, and summaries of trials mm-hmm. that reporters would give to newspapers usually. Mm-hmm. So, this is... This so, af- not affidavits, but, like, after, like, trial reports, I guess. I'm yeah. trying to figure out what they would look... Just trial reports. Like, yeah. You know, like, the verdict, essentially. No. Not the verdict. It is a recording of what happened during the trial, okay. according to a reporter. And so, in the trial reports, this does a few things differently from the sermon. A, it's not religious. Okay. It's like, we're now moving into secular territory. Good. B, the adversarial trial creates a very different setup for, shall we say, reward and punishment mm-hmm. with the criminal. Because now, instead of there being this pretty big reward for like being able to be like confess guilt and like follow this journey and be and thus gain a position of prominence before your execution and and being able to have like a voice and all this stuff by confessing and cooperating with the process there's now a decent reward for like being like no this is all lies Mm. guys 
Guys, I'm not like to declare innocence and to fight for it, to yeah. contest. And that's like she refers to a lot as the adversarial trial. Hmm. And that's very much kind of what it was, is you had these competing viewpoints, right? Mm -hmm. right? And so now that there's not just like one point of view, which is like the minister talking about the spiritual journey of this person, it is multiple points of view. A lot of times audience were just inundated, audiences were just inundated with information. Mm -hmm. and about, like, the arguments going back and forth. And so now there is doubt in the proceeding, and okay. specifically doubt on innocence or guilt. There is also a, um, um oh, God, what's the, what's the thing? I'm missing the thing. Yeah. thing. Shh. It is, is there... There's questions now about if they're innocent or guilty, and... Beyond reasonable doubt? Uh, no, that's not... I'm forgetting what I, where I was going. And I'm, I'm listing the... You edit this out later, please. I will <laughs> do my best. Um, or listing the differences between the um, sermon and the trial... And the trial is that... It's We're recording this on my phone because my computer's not working, so... motive. Yay. Motive! Motive! Motive is important now. Because it's not... Because it's secular, it's no longer just original sin. Yeah. Now there's gotta be a why. Why yeah. did they do this thing? Yeah. Okay. I was just thinking of motive the other day, too. And how every single one of our actions have has a motive, essentially. There's an intention behind it. Hmm. Yes. And so this introduces motive, it introduces doubt, and it also oh, introduces, re, nope, introduces, not reintroduces, but introduces the victim back into the case. Yay! Because, oh, no, no yay? Uh, it's complicated. Okay. It's, so it's, the victims are reintroduced back into the case, but because there's doubt now, they're reintroduced as evidence. Okay. It's, so now it's like, like. You're introduced as body parts. Like, these are the stab wounds. Were mm. you tall enough to make those stab wounds? And, and okay. Okay. And also because there is... It continues on this tradition of centering the the um, killer, obviously. Because now the victim's just kind of evidence. Oh. But there's also this starting to be... the What we talked about earlier, like, identifying what did... They do that I cannot do. Yeah. Which Frost takes a much more negative viewpoint of. Yeah. Of like, she sees that a lot more critically. Where she's like, this is the origins of victim blaming. This is like where you start to see people like trying to get their sense of security of like, mm. like restoration. Like this yeah. won't happen to me. This won't happen again. This won't happen to me. Mm -hmm. It's because they did these things wrong. And this is where you start to see that. And a lot oh. of times you get it in through classifications. Yeah. So like all the classifications we talked about. No. 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 So you get it um, through what position they occupy in society, mm. specifically marginalized people. Oh, sure. what? Um, she refers to this one person who describes us like these are people who are seen as less alive. Mm -hmm. in life because of their marginalizations yeah. and so perhaps are seen as less dead hmm. and so there's 
less that needs to be returned to after their death. That's and so up. there's this focus on these particular trials because it's easier to feel a sense of restoration after the disruption. Yeah. So she specifically points to like prostitutes. Like they um, really like the story of like, like, yes, they are prostitutes and therefore this often also work to like justify the killing of being like, she described it as a post-mortem death sentence of being like, yeah. like, like, yeah, this happened to these people. Well, not me. So I'm still safe because I'm not a sex worker. Yeah. That makes me really sad. And I totally take that yay back because when you, yeah, what you, what you said are like reintroducing the victim. Not reintroducing, we're introducing. Introducing the victim into the child. Or into the story. Because I was thinking it's like, okay, well, like maybe instead of like, focusing on the killer it's like we're focusing more on the victim and more humanizing the victim but yeah i changed my mind no no it's the victim now serves as either evidence or as security to the listener if anything it still really dehumanizes the victim Um, like before the victim just wasn't part of the story now they're part of the story but like now they have to explain help explain motive if or like these other facets like how did they contribute to their own demise? Yeah. Nice. And so it's kind of victim blaming and it's also like it's also kind of the in the more positive light, like like us looking in trying to figure out what could I do differently. Mm-hmm. But often it took it take and take a very victim blaming tone. Yeah. And so these were kind of the trial reports. So how did they stay the same? How did they change? How were they different? Mm-hmm. And we keep the focus on the serial killer. But we introduce doubt, we introduce whose motive, which becomes a major part of exploring mode later as the genre grows. It was especially like like bringing in expert opinions because now the reporters obviously don't have the sole authority of like the minister being able to be like, uh, yes, I've been talking to them for weeks and i am the authority as you know on spirits and souls and things and so of course i know what's going on in their soul and where it's going to end up and what it means for all of you <laughs> like we're like reporters don't have that no all right so they have to get authority from other places and they get it through their objectivity and like not being a part of the story yeah. essentially but being able to present all these parts mm-hmm. and at a, the time a lot of this was also starting to introduce americans to the american court system um, like training them to read it and being like, okay, so this is how a defense, like this is how a defense works. This is how prosecution works. This mm-hmm. is how forensic evidence works. Mm-hmm. They have forensic evidence. Right? I mean, their version of it. Okay. Like this was, there was one case where one guy, like, like they're trying to identify the body and they're just like, like one guy was like, I made those teeth and I gave them to this guy. So I think it's his body. damn okay so that's kind of what we're talking about like this is like early forensic evidence and so oh it's kind of teaching them to read the court system and often it's restoring faith in the it's creating faith in the court system because a well-written trial report it's going to lead you to the same opinion as the jury and or the judge right right Right? like you're going to be weighing both sides and you're going to be like and they're going to be detailing like how do we move from this thought to this thought how do you weigh evidence mm-hmm. yeah and so a good trial report you're gonna agree with the jury at the end okay and and so it kind of creates faith that like 
okay, yes, sometimes there's a murderer out there. But, like, they get caught. We see how it happened here. Mm-hmm. And they get sentenced correctly. Or, you know, like, someone gets caught and they're not, they're innocent. And they get exonerated. Mm-hmm. Good job, court system. But that doesn't always work like that, though. No, it doesn't. But, like, these are, like, the trial reports that would make it out there. This is, okay. like, true crime. Like, these are the stories that get attention. Side note, also stories that get attention, like, I get, it's not a clear-cut cases, interestingly. Like, people really liked what one person at the time, I think it was of the time, said it was, like, three things to making a good trial report. One, an ambiguous murder. Like, did they do it or not? Two, a really competent defense and prosecution team who can both really capitalize on those ambiguities. And three, some social political tension thrown in there for spice. Essentially, like, a situation that's as clear as mud with stakes as high as the sky. Mm. Like, that's going to really grab people. Mm. The Casey Anthony case. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and so, those are the trial report eras. Yes. Yeah. This is from your 18th century through to the 20th century. As we were entering into the 20th century, people are losing interest in trial reports. Why? Because they actually did their job and now people roughly understand the judicial system. And they're just like, why are you telling me shit I already know? Yeah. Oh, I get that something actually worked. What do you know? Oh, funny. That's why I say in school all the time. (laughs) Right? And then, and so now people are looking for something different. So what you start getting is the true crime genre as we know it today. Yeah. Hey, books. What time period was this? So we're entering now the mid twentieth century. Okay. The first one of that's often traced as the origins of true crime is um, Capote's oh, no, In no. Cold Blood. In Cold Blood, yeah. Yes, that's the one. Okay. And that's nineteen sixties. The boom really starts in the nineteen eighties uh, with I think they described it as Anne Rule's The Stranger Beside Me. Mm. Okay. And these are novel-length works. And so their whole deal is that they can go beyond the headlines. They can go deeper into it because they're, you know, a whole-ass book instead of an article in Mm -hmm. a newspaper. And so even like a serial newspaper installment. And so they can go in deep. They can explore the psychology. They can make it into things that didn't get into the trial. A lot of times authors have some kind of different personal stake in it. Like if journalists from our trial reports era, if they're like, I'm objective. I had nothing to do with this. True crime books, there's trying to be people who actually have a stake in it. Like, yeah. like in cold blood. I forget what his stake was. Never mind. I, but like, I know one of the other ones was like, Helter Skelter. Yeah. Or like, that was the prosecuting attorney. Yeah. He could go into things that were like, didn't make it into trial, that they tried to get into trial. Like, you know, it's a, it's a very, insider scoop type deal mm-hmm. um and rules the stranger beside me yeah, apparently she was uh a friend of ted bundy's and then <gasps> what and like and like here's the wild thing though right right her producers are like hey there's this murderer we know his first name's ted we know nothing else can you like do some research and like put together a book on him yeah and like she started to do that and as she's doing that she's like Hey, Ted. <laughs> like, it's, it's like the realization, coming to the realization, like, it, oh, shit. What? Yeah, and so it's like, it's like, 
it's an account of like someone who knew him, right? And then was coincidentally charged with like writing a book about the serial killer before they knew who it was. Shit. And so that's fucking insane. Right. And so like that's kind of what you start to see is like that's where they get their expertise. They can go deeper, they can call in other experts. They can mm-hmm. be like, here's the folks who didn't get into the trial. Oh, but like, yeah. Oh, right. Capote personally interviewed the guy. Like, afterwards. Like, he did personal interviews afterwards. What? And so, like, this is kind of where the true crime genre is getting its legitimacy. It's still doing a lot of the same stuff as before. We're still starting serial killer. There's starting to be some pushback on that. And Rule, in particular, did try to do her best. Like, did her best as best you can do in this genre. hmm With um, Green River Running Red. Mm-hmm. Right? Where she's, like starts off the book with the victims and being, like, giving as much information as she can about them. Yeah. But, like, there's a problem where, like, they're already dead. A lot of times there's limited information. Like, for four of that particular killer, like, four of them are just Jane Doe. Wait, okay, we don't so know who they were. Green River running red. Like, was she writing about no. the Green River killer? Yes. Okay. Yes, the Green River killer. And so, like, like, four of the victims there were just Jane Doe. We don't know anything about them. Yeah. So a lot of times there's like limits on information of what we can even get about them. And so that makes it really hard to center them. There's the fact that they're kind of already dead. Yeah. Dead and like where do you follow with that narrative? Yeah. Evan. That makes me really sad knowing that there are still like so many victims out there that still aren't identified even like decades later and Mm -hmm. so many friends and family just don't have closure whatsoever. Yeah. And so, uh, there's, so things that are saying, saying we're still starting the serial killer. Yeah. Right? We are still really working on that affirmation of of justice. Like, there's still, still, like, this return to normalcy. Yes. Like, there's still kind of that goal. And kind of what you see kind of indicative of that is that, like, these are all about serial killers who have either been caught. Yes. Or long dead. I had, like, Jack the Ripper, right? Yeah. Like, cannot feasibly pose a risk to you anymore. And possibly the Zodiac Killer, too. His might be dead. Might not be. Yeah. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So, like, a lot of times, the vast majority of the time, interest around Zodiac Killers is people who are caught and people who are cannot feasibly pose a threat to you. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's part of that. Um. Yes. And so one of the things I'm very interested in looking at so for next episode hey. is what we're going to be doing is I really want to look at how it changes when we move to podcast. And A, obviously, I hope, God, I hope this is obvious. We have, like, nothing more than you. Like, we are in no position of authority over you in terms of, like, like, why do I know better than you? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I have Google. I looked this all up on Google. <laughs> Well, you have Google. Well, like, do not take me as an authority, please. It is like, I'm in no special position to give word about any of this to anyone. But also, Serial, I think somewhat notably, is about one of the major influences on the true crime podcast genre is a podcast that disputes the Mm -hmm. case. And it has not been resolved. Or at least it was not as of the time serial was being made. Like, mm-hmm. like the principal person there had not yet been exonerated, and and which was 
It had been done a couple of times before. Like, I want to be clear, it's been done. It had been done before, but usually for people who had been exonerated at the time that they were writing it, it was about people who had been proven innocent. Mm. It was not like I think they're innocent, and the justice system has done bad. Yeah, but like that's what Syria did. They're just like, this was a terrible case. Like, yeah, like, or at least this was not like. There's reason to doubt that justice was actually done here, and that anything that we actually resolved it in any meaningful way. Yeah. And so, oh, I think it'd be very interesting to see, like, to do research, because, again, I don't know anything about the true crime podcast genre today other than serial. See how that's influenced, like, the stake of doubt. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, like, how that actually means we relate to our systems. Mm-hmm. And, like, how that might have changed things along with the decentralization of authority. Mm-hmm. So, fun times for next week. Cool. Do you guys have any questions? Um, no. Like, it's all clear for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. Uh, that was that was awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Yes, my 30-minute rant. <laughs> and, like, I, I don't feel like you guys got much word edgewise, but... No, it's fine. Um, but, yeah, uh, sorry for being off next week. Um, Israel, who... Oh, dear. <laughs> thing had a long day yeah <laughs> um. so uh, we're gonna be taking a short break for restorations of hearts minds bodies and souls yeah <laughs> and and yeah we we just have we've been we have a lot going on like nowadays so um i know we mentioned this in a previous episode but yeah if there's no new episode out a week just assume that oh shit they're busy <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a great night, all. Stay safe. Yeah. And drink lots of water. Bye. Bye.